Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, how you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that. I hope our listeners are doing well again today, too. And we've got a lot to talk about on today's show, and I recognize that people listening to the program, Brian, can't stay with us many times for the entire program. We certainly hope that they could do that, but I know it's not reality for a lot of folks. So if you've missed any part of the program or you want to hear it all over again, we are a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast and search Growing Your Wealth, Brian Evans. You will find uh, north of 350 shows right there. There's bound to be one that applies to you. Brian, this is one of my favorite types of shows because I just get to sit back and listen. We have another very special guest in the studio today, so why don't you introduce our guest and tell everybody what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, this is one of my favorite types of shows, too. I get to be Jeff Shade for an hour, so that, <laughs> I don't know if that's, that's such a cool. good thing, Brian. <laughs> no, that's a really good thing. I'd like to be Brian Evans for my life. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's a tough road to go there. I but, know. Uh, yeah, I've got a special guest today, Kyle Williams from IPX 1031, and we're going to do a deep dive into real estate transactions, uh, retirement strategies for landlords, 1031 exchanges, Delaware statutory trusts, qualified intermediaries, cover a lot of topics. I'm really excited about this topic because I remember when I would do seminars and you get, you know, people show up and they're kind of general financial planning seminars and there's a lot of people in the Seattle market there to doing them, luncheons or dinner seminars and so forth. And, you know, we'd maybe get 15, 20 people show up. And then I did one on just 1031 exchanges and strategies for landlords. And that room just filled up. In fact, I remember I had an overflow. My overflow room the next week with the people that couldn't come to the first one was bigger than my typical seminar was. So I was like, oh, Okay, I think I'm on to something. Swimming in the blue ocean here. I got something different than what's being talked about. And by talking about it at a very high level, I think it uh, really appeals to people that are in a situation. And there's so many people uh, that own real estate and the, the aging baby boomer population is going, all right, I own real estate. It's done what it's supposed to do. It's grown. It's given me nice rents. I put a lot of sweat equity into it. It's gone up in value. All my friends are retired and going on trips and I can't. I don't get to retire. I'm a landlord. I'm supposed to keep this till the day I die so I can get to step up in basis for my spouse or my heirs. I don't want to do that. What can I do? But I don't want to pay the income tax. So we're going to be talking a lot about that today. But again, my special guest is Kyle Williams from IPX 1031. And Kyle, uh, welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've been in finance, finance related fields for, I guess, about 20 years this year. I got my Series 7 and 66 literally 20 years ago and worked for a firm that did a lot of bonds 
bonds, commodities, MLPs, REITs, private placements, and eventually just morphed. I love the real estate side of things and eventually morphed into me going into 1031s and uh, overseeing sales in the state now for IPX 1031. We're, uh, we're the exchange division under the Fidelity National Financial Umbrella. Okay, and explain to me what an exchange facilitator does, just so the audience can get with that. So most importantly, our job is to hold funds during a 1031 exchange. 1031 exchange, I guess for your listeners that have maybe an overview of what a 1031 is, 1031 allows investors to sell their investment property and use all the equity, not just the after-tax equity, to reinvest into something bigger and better. Section code 1031 is very unique. There's nothing else like it. But one of the rules of 1031 is that you have to have a disinterested party, a third party, hold funds for the duration of the exchange until you're ready to purchase. So that's our job is to hold funds in a safe and secure manner until the exchange is ready to purchase their new investment property. Yeah. And one of the things about someone like yourself, you cannot do a 1031 exchange without someone like yourself. Uh, Talk about that for a second. So that's funny you bring this up. There was a case, Keith Klein was the uh, defendant about 30 years ago, I think 1992. And what Keith did is he tried to bypass hiring a qualified intermediary. And he did the 1031 exchange himself. And he knew he couldn't touch money, so he just directed escrow where to send the funds. And the IRS went after him, and, and he lost in federal tax court. Keith did, because they said you had control of funds, what you and I would call constructive receipt. And a lot of people will do that. I'll get calls regularly, and someone will ask me some questions and say, you know, thanks for your time, Kyle. I think I'm going to do my own 1031. And I know what they mean. So we've actually put that case up on our website to show clients, even if you direct escrow where to send funds, you're still doing that. Are these people that also trying to extract their own teeth when they go bad and <laughs> yeah. write their own wills and, exactly. uh, and uh, do their own uh, minor surgeries? Exactly. The do-it-yourselfers. Yeah. Don't save money on this. You'll get it wrong. And so, yeah, let's, let's go back to the 1031. You mentioned how unique that tax code is. It truly is in many ways. There's a couple of different kind of tax attributes. One is deferral and one is exclusion. Let me talk about the difference there. So with a lot of tax strategies, it's about deferral. But deferral just means you're putting it off. You're putting it off into the future, and maybe that's a good thing if you think your future tax brackets are going to be lower than they are today. And time value money, of course, plays into that. So there's a lot of things that help you defer paying income tax until you recognize it on your tax return. But with the 1031 exchange, it is also a deferral. It's putting it off. It's putting off the gains, the capital gains, you know, that you have on something. It's also putting off any depreciation recapture. So the example is you you buy a property and you rent it out for years and years and years. It goes way up in value. So you paid, say, I'll just throw a number out, uh, 200,000 for it. And now it's worth a million. Well, you got an $800,000 capital gain. But actually your gain is bigger than that because you took depreciation deductions. Maybe you took 150000 of depreciation deductions. Well, if you sell it, not only do you pay the tax on the capital gain, you pay the tax on the depreciation recapture. So in this example, you pay 200000 for something. It's worth a million when you sell it. And you think, well, I got an $800,000 gain. No, you have a $950,000 gain. $800,000 is capital gains and $150,000 is depreciation recapture. With a 1031 exchange, if you do it properly and you hire Kyle here and <laughs> make sure he does his part, then you can defer that gain. You go, well, deferral, that's, that's okay, I guess. But do you have anything more for me, Brian? Yes. So we're going to dabble in just kind of big picture here as we talk about 1031 exchange. One of the primary reasons, we're going to talk about a couple of those those primary reasons. But one of those primary reasons my clients do that is to get the step up in basis someday. 
because if you've done a 1031 exchange and you've rolled your low basis into the new property in the state of Washington, which is one of nine community property states, we receive the double step up in basis. Now I'm getting kind of in the weeds here, so stay with me. My same example, the 950000 of taxable gain that would happen if you sell it while you're alive. If one of you pass away or if you pass away, if you're married, either spouse passes away in a community property state, which Washington is, then the entire gain evaporates permanently. The $800,000 capital gain, the $150,000 depreciation recapture, any gains from your new asset in your 1031 exchange, all of those gains go away permanently. That's an exclusion as opposed to just a deferral. The deferral becomes an exclusion. Hugely important. That is one of the primary reasons why people want to pass on wealth to their surviving spouse or if you don't have a surviving spouse uh, to your heirs. It's a huge, huge taxing. And, and that's, you know, Kyle, you mentioned it's, it's unique. There's not a lot of things in the tax code that allow us to sell our gain assets and eventually never pay any income tax from the gain on that sale. I'd say that's pretty much sum up the uniqueness piece. Yeah, there's there's really nothing else like it that allows you to buy and sell assets over the course of your entire life. And if you plan everything out correctly, never pay taxes on it. And one of the really cool things about that, we think about the, I talk about the life cycle of investments, the life cycle of an investor. Uh, your goals and aspirations at 35 are very different often than they are at 65 or at 85 years old. And what you want to be into is very different. When you're 35, and you own uh, investment real estate. You're climbing on ladders. You're getting on the roof. You're fixing things. You're lifting uh, drywall sheets and all that stuff. When you're 85, please do not get on the ladder. I beg you, don't get on a ladder anymore. You're, you're not going to do those same things. And so our, our goals change, and maybe the kind of property we want changes. So you might be in a particular kind of property when you're investing in investment real estate, but you know, 20, 30, 40 years later, there's one thing about that property that I can guarantee that has changed. It's 20, 30, or 40 years older than it was when you bought it. And you've got 20, 30, or 40 years more deferred maintenance to deal with. Pretty sure about that. My math is probably pretty good on that one. What do you think, Kyle? Yep, you're right on. (laughs) Yeah. So you got an older property. Oh, and you're 20, 30, 40 years older. And so you got an older you, you got an older property. And maybe your desire to have that kind of property is waning. And so 1031 Exchange is really cool in in the fact that you can sell your property, get into some other kind of property. And whatever that property is, when it sells, you can get into a different one. You can continue to change the type of property you have during your lifetime by doing 1031 Exchanges. Now, it's often referred to as like-kind exchanges. There's very little like-kind about a lot of these investments. It's like-kind means investment real estate for investment real estate. So you could go from a piece of raw land into a rental house, into a rental house, into an industrial park, industrial park into a Delaware statutory trust, a Delaware statutory trust into a winery, a farm, whatever. It's just investment real estate for investment real estate. So as your goals and type of property you want to be in change, you can do that without paying the income tax. I think that's another really kind of cool, unique aspect of the 1031 exchange that maybe isn't talked about as much. Although one thing I talked about is when you sell a 1031, you can go from a rental house into an 
industrial park and you're going, well, wait a second. How am I going to sell a $300,000 rental house and buy an industrial park? That's that's dumb. They're $50 million or whatever it is. You can do that. And we'll be talking about later in the show about how you do that, a fractional interest by using the Delaware Statutory Trust. But I don't want to get ahead of myself too much right there. Any other uh, aspects about the 1031 you wanted to mention? Well, you know, you just brought up something very interesting. And I, I would have never brought this up unless you jog my memory. But uh, we see a ton of exchanges. You brought up landowners. Many landowners and many people in general, many investors who have never done a 1031 have heard about this like kind thing. And they think, oh, you know, I've got land. That means I have to buy other land, right? Not necessarily because many landowners we will see, many landowners have owned their land for a long time and they have a huge gain because they've owned a piece of land outside Bellevue on the east side somewhere for many, many years and it's appreciated in value. But they have no idea. If you just approach them, if you're an agent or broker and you just approach them and say, hey, have you thought about selling this land? You know, I can get you top dollar. They'll say, what am I going to do? Sell this, pay taxes and buy something just as expensive? They have no idea that they can actually put that stagnant equity to work and exchange into something where they can collect income, get the tax benefit of depreciation, whole list of other reasons. But yeah, many landowners have no idea that they can actually exchange into something, even passive real estate investments that we'll talk about. Yeah, and I want to talk more about that, about some of the, the different options there, but I do need to uh, go to break, so we'll be back in a moment. Our show's called Drawing Your Wealth. You're listening to Brian Evans talking with Kyle Williams of IPX 1031, and they're talking about an exit strategy for active landlords using the 1031 exchange into a Delaware statutory trust. And we'll continue that conversation in just a moment. In the meantime, let me ask you a question. Are you ready for retirement? Are you secure that you've got enough money to last for a retirement that could be 20, 25 years? Are your financial roots deep enough to withstand the next financial storm? Well, if you're unsure about that, go to our website, madronafinancial.com, and click on the Get Started button. That'll begin a conversation about how deep your financial roots really are. That's where you can do a rooted wealth analysis. Once you click on the Get Started button, you'll answer a few quick questions, and then you'll be able to schedule a quick 15-minute call with one of our advisors. And they'll guide you from there so you can quickly get the results of your rooted wealth analysis and verify if your roots are deep enough and are ready for the next financial storm. So take this complimentary opportunity to check how deep your financial roots are. Once again, it's madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. Once again, madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. Now back to more of Brian Evans and Kyle Williams on Growing Your Wealth. We were just talking about the unique aspects of Section 1031, how it allows you to defer and potentially exclude all of your gains someday from the sale of real estate, how it allows you to trade different kinds of real estate during your lifetime as your goals change. And we'll be talking also about how you can change your life with certain aspects of a Delaware statutory trust. But Kyle, before we went to break, you, you mentioned an interesting thing. A lot of real estate owners feel stuck. And you just mentioned one example where somebody owns some raw land that's gone way up in value. They're going, well, gosh, I'm going to sell one problem, buy another. And that is, I think, probably the biggest sticking point as to why people you know, hold real estate mm-hmm. too long. Mm-hmm. And when I say too long, the investments have a purpose. It could be growth, cash flow, liquidity, security, uh, tax savings, and they usually have multiple purposes. But you can hold something too long. I have seen a lot of people that hang on to the real estate because they want that step up in basis someday too long, meaning they're no longer able to really be a property manager anymore. They're taken advantage of later in life. A lot of people, their last couple of years on this earth are not their best years cognitively 
And if you're owning a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio and you have cognitive problems and you didn't take care of that through the 1031 exchange before that, that could be a big problem for the family and for the legacy, for the surviving spouse, all that kind of thing. So why not address that early? But people feel stuck. So you're bringing up an example. I'll let you continue with that as the person with the raw land. Yeah. I mean, depreciation, we, we talked about this a few minutes ago, but depreciation is the number one tax benefits even owning investment real estate. And landowners don't get that because there's no improvements that they can depreciate. But again, many landowners have been approached many, many times over the years by agents and brokers who want to get a listing, whatever the case is, and say, hey, would you like to sell this land? And they say, what am I going to do? Pay taxes and buy something just as expensive. They have no idea that they can actually exchange all that equity into something that actually better hits their goals, something they can collect income on every month, something they can write off on their taxes in the form of depreciation. And even if they don't want to manage properties, say they're older and they've owned the land for 40 or 50 years, they can actually go into passive real estate investments and just collect the check passively, almost their own little portfolio of real estate. Yeah, it is the uh, retirement strategy for landlords, uh, the passive aspect of this. I talk about passive real estate investments in a 1031. I call that a stay-rich strategy. And while you're building your real estate empire in your 30s and 40s, you do not want to go into passive. You want to continue to do that. You know That's your get-rich strategy. You're putting in your sweat equity. You're finding opportunities. You've got time on your side. You're using leverage. There's so many great aspects. I mean, so many of my investment clients got there through their real estate. They didn't inherit the money. Maybe it was their business that helped, but uh, their business might have owned real estate that went up. Often I see, uh, yeah, I'm selling my business. And I say, what, what's it worth? Eight million. So what's your real estate worth of that? Seven and a half. <laughs> you know, okay, and the business is worth a half million. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because it's just some equipment or whatever. So very often, the value of a business is the real estate. And so I'm seeing more and more of that, especially as baby boomers age out of the retirement years. One of the things I I ask my clients to do, because they might say, well, I don't mind owning the real estate, but, you know, it's not that bad, but I really can't go anywhere, and I I cringe when the phone rings and it's raining or whatever it is, because they know something's gone wrong. And it's not that bad. And so I just ask them, uh, put yourself five to ten years ahead in the future. What would you want to be telling me right now? Would you want to tell me that you still own that place and you're still a landlord? And they look at me like, ah, no. Okay, why don't we do something about that now instead of waiting until it's you know too late to really do it right? And so, oh, gosh, that makes sense. Plan ahead, you know, uh, plan with the end in in mind. And so that's one aspect. Now, you mentioned the raw land person. That's a kind of a layup for me because I I can look at their tax return and go, so you own this multi-million dollar asset. How's your cash flow? Uh, Well, it doesn't cash flow. It's raw land. Well, in fact, it's negative, isn't it? Yeah, I pay property taxes and insurance. I'm like, well... Uh, you must really like your heirs because <laughs> it's not helping you at all. In fact, it's hurting you so they can have more of your money to spend after you pass away. I'm like, huh, yeah, I don't like them that much. <laughs> I like me a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's where an, an example of a 1031. But I've run into what you mentioned a million times where people say, well, I'm just going to sell my property and then i got to go find another headache. And at these prices these days, I'm not going to get a deal. And so why would I sell what I have? At least, you know, the devil you know is better than the one you don't. And so they just, well, I guess I'm stuck. And people feel stuck because they're not talking about Delaware Statutory Trust. So I think now's a good time to segue into to DSTs a little bit. Kyle, can you give me a, a little bit on DSTs? 
Yeah, so DSTs, I think the structure was officially approved, given the go-ahead, what, about almost 20 years ago. But yeah, DSTs have really risen in popularity, especially over the last, I'd say, five to 10 years, because... Who owns a lot of the wealth in the real estate in this country? Baby boomers. What are they doing? They're retiring. What do they not want to do? Manage properties. But people love real estate. Those same baby boomers, they love real estate. It's tangible. It's made them money. But the last thing they want to do is fix toilets at 1 a.m. on a Sunday night. As soon as they find out they can go passive and collect that cash flow and depreciation and never have to worry about the headaches of the terrible teas, toilets, tenants, trash, all that stuff. They say, listen, sell my property tomorrow. I want to find a DST that works for me. The DST itself is a very, very unique investment. There's not much else like it. But again, it allows an investor to really have their own little portfolio of real estate passively managed. Yeah, one of the questions I ask is, so what's a Delaware statutory trust? Does that mean I got to sell my my investment real estate and buy rental houses in Delaware? <laughs> no, that's not what it means. Nor does like kind exchange mean. Rob from one of my favorite sponsor of, of DSTs is always saying it doesn't mean if you sell your purple rental house, you have to go out and find another purple <laughs> like kind rental house. You don't have to do that. And so, uh, Delaware statutory trust—that's just a fancy name for selling your investment real estate, doing a Proper 1031 exchange involving a qualified intermediary like Kyle. And then you have a plethora of choices of types of properties that you go in passively. You're not the property manager anymore. Thank goodness. You don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. And you get to build essentially a portfolio from a lot of good choices of institutional class investments. So what I mean by that is you could sell your kind of dilapidated rental property that you've owned for a long time and, you know, tenants haven't treated it as as you would have. And you can sell that and maybe split the money into several DSTs. So one DST might own an apartment building in Florida that's two years old, beautiful with the, the workout rooms and the you know the pools and pet facilities and, and it's near the, the all the jobs and it's really shiny, new, beautiful Class A property. You might put some into a group of self-storage units, an industrial park DST, student housing at a major university that's, that's nearly new. Uh, you can spread it out amongst different asset classes, so immediately diverse diversify because a lot of times people well I'm worried about diversification I well I'm saying well you're going from one property to multiple properties so immediately your diversification gets better so another attribute of the Delaware statutory trust that can be very advantageous but you know like I said a lot of people are they think they're trading one problem for another because they have not heard about the passive nature of the DST so I know you you get calls from clients all the time they might call you directly and they'll be asking you they've heard maybe something like this. They don't know what it is. They're questioning, why is it, Kyle, do you think people don't know about Delaware Statutory Trusts? That's a great question. There's just not enough people that that talk about them. I I mean, I think that it's the same reason that there's a lot of investors that don't know about Section Code 1031. Nobody has approached them. You know, we'll see an older couple, for example, that owns four or five rentals in King County. And someone will approach them about DSTs and they'll listen sell their properties the next day, basically, because no one has ever talked to them about that. There's just not enough conversation around Delaware statutory trust. But as we've seen the popularity rise, as soon as it gets brought up, 
you know, people are paying attention. Yeah, I, and one of the things somebody listening might go is, yeah, I'm going to go out and do a DST or, or you know, there's a lot of misconceptions when they hear about it. I had one person say, yeah, I'd like to do a DST. Could you find me an elderly health care facility in Skagit Valley? I was like, well, it's not that specific. Okay, <laughs> there's only a handful of highly vetted DSTs available at any given time. And so I know some people, you know, the availability of DSTs, how you get one, you, know, you might be listening and go, yeah, I'm going to go do it myself. I won't be my own qualified intermediary, but I'm going to I'm going to do my own DST. I'm going to call them up. I'm going to make that happen. Can they call you, Kyle, and get a DST? We're a disinterested party, so we can never be the client's attorney, financial advisor, CPAs. Uh, we would refer them to a reputable group like yourself that actually helps them find the DST that works for them. Yeah, I did want to say, because I don't say this enough on the show. The stuff I talk about on the show is something we offer. Okay, yes. I find myself just educate, educate, educate and then somebody calls me and they go, yeah, could you point me to someone that can help me get a DST? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, us. You know, so I want to point that out. We've done close to $200 million of DSTs at Madrona Financial and CPAs, so we certainly know that space and do it well. So they can call you, but you uh, often refer them to us. Now, one of the interesting things I've noticed about uh, lack of information on DSTs is this is a, a taxing. It's in the tax code, Revenue Ruling 2004-86 and Section 1031 or Section 1033, all this stuff. And tax people should know that, but they haven't heard of a DST. Real estate people, it's real estate. It's passive real estate. It's an exit strategy for landlords. They should know about this, but they haven't heard of a DST. Investment advisors, we're the only ones that can put you into a DST. You have to go through us. You can't buy them on your own. And they haven't heard about them. Mm-hmm. Or if they have, they don't know the nuances of it. So it is a, a huge opportunity for people to really change their life and landlords and change their legacy for the better. Yet people don't know about it. And you're, so sometimes like people are going, this can't be true. How could it be? I'm hearing this for the very first time. Yeah. So I just want to point that out. If you haven't heard about it before and you think you should have, yeah, you should have. But it's not your fault. You know, there's people in your life haven't heard about it and don't know about it. And that's why we're talking about it on the show today. And I mentioned that I see we're up on a break, so we'll be back in a moment. Growing Your Wealth will be right back with even more ways to help sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. And now here's Growing Your Wealth, presented by Madrona Financial Services. Here's Brian Evans. Did you know that there are actually seven different kinds of IRAs? There's a traditional IRA. It has contribution limits of $6,000 plus $1,000 catch-up if you're over age 50. That can also be used for rolling over amounts from 401k plans, old retirement accounts, that kind of thing. So there's that one. There's also the Roth IRA. The Roth IRA, although non-deductible when money goes in, can grow income tax-free for the rest of your life. And so that can be a very important tool in your financial planning if you're young and you have a 401k plan, please consider putting that money into the Roth portion of the 401k. There's something called a SEP, a self-employed pension plan, SEP IRA, and it has very high contributions depending on how much you make. So you can put up to 25% and that's to 20% of your income or up to 58,000 into that plan. There are non-deductible IRAs. Be resident to use them too much. They can 
can allow for deferral of income, but you don't know what tax bracket you might be deferring into. There's something called a spousal IRA. If your spouse doesn't work and wouldn't be subject to having any income limits, then this can kick in so they can contribute to IRA. There's a simple IRA, which has lower contribution limits, $14,000 a year. And then there's something called a self-directed IRA, because most custodians won't hold much more than stocks and bonds and those kinds of assets. So if you have real estate or real estate contracts or non-traditional assets in your IRA, you would need to find a self-directed IRA with a custodian that's willing to hold it. Even the mightiest of trees can be blown over if they don't have strong roots. And the same is true for your investment plan. Can your plan withstand a financial storm? Go to madronafinancial.com and get started to request your rooted wealth analysis. You can also click on the chat button and ask us anything. We have a searchable library with answers to your questions. Visit madronafinancial.com. Big trees fall when storms hit because they don't have deep enough roots. The same goes with your finances. Your quality of life depends on how deep your financial roots are today, tomorrow, and for years to come. If you want to learn how to design your retirement to last 30-plus years, then grab your copy of 7 Steps to a Successful Retirement by calling Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And today we're talking about 1031 exchanges, Delaware statutory trusts, landlords, and exit strategies for landlords. And my special guest is Kyle Williams from IPX 1031, who's an exchange facilitator, a requirement for any 1031 exchange. You have one. You cannot do that by yourself and have it pass the IRS test there. And so uh, kind of picking up on our conversation where we left off, Kyle, can you tell me some of the reasons why people might do a DST? One of the interesting reasons that we've really seen over the last few years is to be able to diversify geographically. If we work with someone who's, say, 40, say a younger couple, and they've sold a couple rentals, they want to get out of Washington to diversify. And sometimes they can do that. Sometimes they can manage properties in Arizona, go down there for a couple months a year, check in on it, what have you. A lot of older people don't want to manage properties around the country. And not only that, not only do they want to diversify geographically, there's a ton of legal landlord-tenant risk in King County and in the state of Washington. So we've seen a ton of people that will basically buy anywhere except the West Coast, but it's not realistic for them to go look at properties in Jacksonville, Florida, and up along the East Coast and in the South. I mean, that could take years to figure something out. So that's when they'll go into a DST, knowing that, hey, I can diversify geographically, and two, I don't have to worry about managing this property. I'm just going to collect the cash flow. I'm going to take the depreciation, that awesome tax benefit, and move on with my life. Yeah, I had a lot of clients do that there. They're just tired of being a landlord in King County. That could be a a reason there. And they do want to diversify to some of the other growing parts of the country. I did want to step back and and say, well, okay, where do these DSTs come from? They just kind of happen? Do they just fall out of the sky? Or what are they? And so let me explain the process of, of how a DST comes about. And so what you have is some of the biggest institutional real estate management companies in the country with billions and billions and billions of dollars of transactions under their belt over the years, over many decades. They will go out and you just mentioned geographically, they're not going to go out and buy a brand new apartment building in Connecticut or or Chicago or New York City or San Francisco. They're not going to do that. 
That is not where they want to be. They're going to buy a new apartment building maybe in Texas or in Florida or North Carolina or something where people are moving and, and the demographics are changing. So they'll go out and purchase an apartment. Let's say it's a $90 million apartment building, a really big one, and they'll maybe write a check for $40 million out of their bank account for the down payment and get a $50 million loan or vice versa and secure financing. They'll make sure it's rented up. They'll do all the studies and engineering reports. They'll put them into prospectus. They'll figure out any expenses that they think may happen in the next 10 years. Put that money into reserves because they can never call you when you've invested and say, hey, could you pony up for a new roof? If they need a new roof, they needed to put that away on day one. So they get it all put together. They get it rented out. They know exactly what their cash flow is. Now they look at it and got, okay, we've got this thing operating. We know exactly what we have. We're going to put a DST wrapper around this. And we're going to call Brian and say, Brian, we got $40 million of equity available. We want it to be taken out at cost, essentially. Cost. There's some fees, but cost. And so then I have clients that are doing 1031s at the same time that want this fractional share of ownership in a Florida apartment building where, where they bought this. And so they'll do their 1031 exchange and take a fraction of that investment. And that's why it qualifies for 1031. So now that sponsor we called, the people that bought the property originally, has put up their $40 million. They now get their $40 million back from my investors and other investors from other advisors across the country. Once they get their $40 million back, they close it. Now we know what 100 people or 200 people own this property. Now, do we have a meeting every month to talk about what we should do? No. It's centralized management. That sponsor is making all the decisions. And so it's really important because they know what they're doing. And one of the decisions they'll make is when to sell it. And they'll figure out the buyer and all that stuff someday, too. But they're in charge of overseeing the property, property management, again, decisions on selling it someday. So you've done this 1031 exchange, and that's where the property comes from. So at any given time, we vetted a half dozen to a dozen DSTs that we would put clients into. And so if you say, well, I got some, I got my money, I hired Kyle, I'm going to get my million dollars in the next 20 days, I'm ready to do that. And so we'll start looking at properties and and start putting uh, recommendations together as to what mix of different kinds of properties you're going to want to use for that million dollars that's going into the 1031 exchange. So I just kind of wanted to spend a moment talking about, well, what is a DST? Where does it come from? It doesn't just show up out of nowhere. No, it's from an institutional real estate management company. And so I did want to mention that. I do also want to talk about some of the reasons why someone would not want to do a, a DST. Kyle, do you want, want to have any comments on that? Well, yeah, I guess there's a number of reasons. Some people love to be landlords, mm-hmm. right? And I can understand that to a degree, but yeah, some people love to do their own maintenance. You know, they love to check in on the property. They love to go there and touch it because it's tangible. Yeah, some people just love that and DSTs probably wouldn't make a ton of sense for them because they can't let go of that active management that they want to have. That would be one group off the top of my head that I would think may not make sense for DSTs. What else are there? Yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I hear that 
that a lot. And I was getting chummy with this guy. And I've told this story on the show before, but, but he says, yeah, you know, I, I don't have a spouse. I don't have any kids. I don't have any hobbies. I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably, I'd probably die if I didn't you know, have a toilet to fix in the, you know, every week or whatever. I said, well, I don't want to kill you off, but can I make it a recommendation? He says, sure. I said, well, you might want to hire a life coach. And he cracked up. He said, oh, I definitely need a life coach. Uh, but, you know, he was 75. He says, you know, in five years, we're going to have this conversation. I'll go, I'm ready. But I'm just not ready today. I said, perfect. Keep what you have. That's absolutely valid. You also mentioned uh, touching the DST. I remember one of my earliest DSTs was an apartment building in Colorado. And this, this fellow put the money into it. And he actually flew to visit his parents and visited the property. He was able to touch his DST property. And he was looking at the property and it occurred to him he, when he was in college in that town, he worked for a maintenance, a landscape maintenance company that took care of that property <laughs> that he bought into all these huh. 20 years later or something or whatever it was. And he was just like, this is awesome. <laughs> I went from the maintenance guy to the owner, a fractional owner of this property. But he was able to touch. And that is one aspect of DSTs. They're not a security. There is a fractional interest in an actual property with an actual address. You could go and walk to that property. You know, people look at these apartments. They're beautiful. Can I live there or stay there? I'm like, no, you can't just walk in there. But uh, you're a fractional owner in that property. So there is that aspect of it. I have other reasons why someone would not want to do a DST. I've had people call me and say, yep, I've heard you. I, I need to do a DST. And I said, well, how'd you acquire your property? So I inherited it two years ago. I said, oh, well, you got to step up in basis, so you don't have any gain. So that's the reason why someone would not do a DST. Their gain isn't big enough. Or, yeah, I bought this property 10 years ago. It really hasn't gone up in value. I need to do a DST. Well, maybe not. Again, it's, the gain isn't big. It's, it's not worth doing a 1031 exchange. Just pay the little bit of tax and, and do whatever you want with the, the money. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason somebody would not want to. Uh, another reason is, as I mentioned earlier in the show, it's a stay-rich strategy, not a get-rich. So if somebody says to me, that, oh, I double my money every five years developing real estate, and I'm like, well, keep doing that. You don't want to do it when you're 90. Mm-hmm. But keep doing that. If you're 30, 40, 50, then, then why would you do a DST or any 1031 exchange? Or especially DST. You don't want to go passive if active is your friend. And so keep doing active. And the final one I come up with, I, I always have my go-to uh, on that, is you need the cash or something in the next couple of years. DSTs are not liquid. There is no secondary market for them. You can't do a DST one year and then two years later go, yep, yeah, I'm ready to sell. Like, well... You're not in charge. The, the sponsor's in charge of making that decision. They're going to sell what's on what's best for all 200 owners, not just you. And so it's, it's illiquid. So I always say if you need an emergency Bugatti in a year or two, and you know that going in, just pay the tax, put the money in the bank, and buy your Bugatti. These aren't liquid. They are liquid to the standpoint that when you get into a DST, you start getting your share of the rent payments right away. But they're not liquid as to the principal. And most people that are going into them don't want that. They haven't been liquid in their old real estate that they sold to do the DST. They're just getting the cash flow. That's what, that's what they're, they're interested in. But there is one aspect of that. So there might be someone, I had a guy who had a $4 million DST with me, and he says, well, I kind of want some money. I said, well, that's fine. You can take money out. I can? Yes, absolutely. So I can take it out tax-free? I'm like, nope, you'll pay the tax. And he wanted 200000 And I said, well, just take the two hundred, pay your 50000 in tax. But I don't want to pay the tax. Well, then don't take the money. But I want the money. <laughs> well, then pay the tax. So it's kind of like watching a tennis match back and forth. Just, you know. And finally, he, it was funny because he stopped himself. And he says, 
well, wait a second. Based on the cash flow from my $4 million, I'm going to be getting 200000 a year. I said, yeah. Well, there's my 200000 I ain't paying the tax. Mm-hmm. And so it's perfect. I'm like, okay, <laughs> put it all in there. You don't have to. You can pull some off, but that will be taxed. Whatever you pull out, it's called boot, and that boot will be taxable. So there was an example of somebody that, that had that. So, again, those are some of the reasons why someone would not do a DST. I do want to get into some more of the reasons why somebody would want to do a Delaware Statutory Trust, but I'm up against a break, so we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs, and Brian is talking to Kyle Williams of IPX 1031, and we're talking about an exit strategy for landlords using the 1031 exchange into a Delaware statutory trust. If you have questions about our topic today, you can get them to us by emailing us at plan at madronafinancial.com. That's plan at madronafinancial.com. And while you're there, take advantage of the opportunity to see how deep your financial roots really are. If you've ever said, I'm not sure how I can retire comfortably, I'm stuck because I don't want to pay the big tax bill. Or I just don't know the right questions to ask. You need a check of your financial roots. And it is very simple to do it. Simply click on the Get Started button. When you do that, you'll give just a little information about yourself. Then you can schedule a 15-minute call with one of our advisors. That advisor will do a cursory evaluation of how deep your financial roots really are. And again, this is a 15-minute call. We're not going to try to sell you anything because we don't know what you're all about yet. At that point in time, the decision is up to you. If you don't want to continue, simply say, no, it's not for me. But if you do, simply tell the advisor that and begin your conversation about your rooted wealth analysis. Once again, very simple to get that. No cost, no obligation whatsoever. Go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. Now let's get back to more of Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and his special guest, Kyle Williams. So I wanted to pick up on some of the questions that come up from clients that are calling and kind of testing the water. One of the ones, you mentioned a question about why can't I just do a REIT? Uh, could you talk about that, Kyle? Yeah, definitely one of the more common questions I get. Kyle, I've heard about this 1031 thing. I want to buy into a REIT. You know, can you help me do that? Well, you can't technically buy into a REIT. A REIT is where you invest in companies that invest in real estate. So you're exposed to the sector, for better or worse, but you don't actually own the real estate. The DST, you're a fractional owner of a real property. You're just paying a trustee to manage it for you. But for those of you that want REIT shares, there's actually ways to where you can go into a DST that converts to REIT shares to where you can control your taxable liability during retirement. And this is where it gets complicated. So I'm going to turn it over to Brian to explain a little more. Yeah. And you really did that well on the on the REIT. Uh, a DST, to me, in a, in a nutshell, is kind of like a small private REIT that happens to qualify for Section 1031 exchange, whereas REITs themselves do not because you're not. Uh, as you mentioned, you're not actually buying the real estate. You're buying a company that buys real estate. That's why you can't do a 1031 exchange into a partnership or an LLC, REIT, or anything like that. You're, those are companies. That isn't real estate. A DST is real estate. And so it's it's really important to have that differentiation there. And so you mentioned uh, about REIT shares. One of the, the nuances that has come up for me more and more just the last couple of years is a lot of DST companies are 
are you'll you'll do a 1031 exchange you'll sell your investment real estate you'll do a proper exchange and, and do a delaware statutory trust when the sponsor of that delaware statutory trust decides to sell they might have intended all along to put it into something called a section 721 upreit and that's that's a little different animal it still qualifies for deferral but if you do that you're going to be in a much bigger group of properties which is a good thing for diversification it's going to be more liquid you know i mentioned dsts aren't liquid well upreit 721 reits are liquid and so uh, you think well that sounds pretty cool why wouldn't i just want to do that well, the, the one thing negative about a Section 721, in my opinion, is that if you, let's say you're 65 years old, and over the next 20 years you've decided, you know, whatever I got into, that type of property, I don't want to be in that anymore. I'm going to sell that. I'm going to exchange that into something else. Well, no, you don't get to exchange your 721 REITs anymore. You're in it for good if you want to step up in basis someday. So you better really like that asset class. So there's your negative. On this show, we always talk about every investment decision has positive attributes and negative attributes. Positive attributes of the Section 721, again, is a bigger asset pool of real estate. You don't have to do additional 1031 exchanges going forward, and it's more liquid. A negative attribute to me with uh, the primary is that asset class is that asset class. And when I think about that, I'm, I'm real careful about that because even 20 years ago, I might have been buying office buildings and shopping centers or some kind of asset class I wouldn't buy today if I had it to do over. And so things can change. And so the older you are, the more likely a 721. Another aspect of that, though, is that you may need some liquidity later in life and you want access to that. So a perfect scenario for one of my older clients might be they've been selling their investment real estate, doing 1031 exchanges, primarily into DSTs. Maybe they have some money in upreits so that if they needed some liquidity, it's there. But for the most part, uh, they still have the ability to change properties as those properties sell. Would you, would you agree that might be a good mix? Absolutely. And with the REIT shares that have converted, if, if again, if someone has an allocation to REIT shares, they may never want to sell them. And they'll go to the heirs at the step up and cost basis like the rest of their real estate. But the liquidity is there if they need to sell. You bring up an interesting comment uh, uh, I've been asked a lot about. Well, they're illiquid. When I die, my heirs don't get to just sell them, uh, right? And I said, well, yeah, that is right. And I always stop and I go, is that a bad thing that they don't have access to 100% of the assets on the day you die? Oh, no, that's not a bad thing. I mean, they might have to wait a couple of years and a couple of years more for another one. Yeah, kind of spread it out. Yep. Well, that actually sounds like a good thing. Yep. And they don't have to pay the income tax. Well, they pay any income tax on any gains after your death because they get a step up to the fair market value on the date of death. But, but that's okay. If it has more gains, so be it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, that's actually not a bad thing. And uh, I agree with them. So the one pushback, again, people have is, well, my heirs won't have access to all the money on the day I die. Well, okay. That's, that's <laughs> probably not a bad thing. In fact, I usually recommend when people are putting together their will that they leave their money to their heirs over different periods of time. Uh, in my own will, if my kids get money, they aren't getting a big old check when dad you know, <laughs> kicks the bucket. They're, they're going to have to wait a while uh, for, for pieces of that. And I think that just makes sense and because uh, people that are maybe new to money or didn't earn it themselves, they may not get it right the first time. So I really like the aspect, frankly, of having to wait a little bit on that. Just a, just a side note there. 
But one of the one of the things uh, crass things we say in in, in the industry is uh, once you start doing a DST and uh, we call it swap until you drop. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say you're 65 years old and you sell your property. And you do some DSTs, and you're 70 years old, and, and you get a notice that, oh, the property's being sold. Kyle, what what are the options that people have when they get that notice that their DST property is going to be sold? So DSTs are fee-simple property, really no different in any traditional sense than a rental, land, anything else. It's all like-kind. So when DSTs sell, clients can exchange back into a rental in their neighborhood that they find. They can exchange into land. They can exchange into another DST. It's wide open for them. That being said, I rarely see people exchange out of DSTs because once they start collecting income and have that 100% passive management aspect to it, they don't ever want to manage properties again. One of the analogies I use, and people respond to this pretty well, typically, it's it's like the first time you hire a house cleaner. (laughs) And you're at work all day, and you're coming home, and you go, i got to clean the house and the bathrooms and the kitchen. I got a vacuum. And you walk in and everything's pristine. And you go, I am never going to be without a housekeeper the rest Mm -hmm. of my life. Why would I do this again if I don't have to? Kind of the same thing. is uh, Once you've turned over management, someone else is doing it, you just cash your check, off you go, you're on vacation. Oh, yeah, checks are automatically deposited. I don't even think about it. I can't get a phone call. I can't get a capital call. I can't get anything. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's pretty nice. You know, My clients have never come back to me and said, gosh, darn it, Brian, I I hate this this passive real estate. It's it's so boring. You know, I... I just don't, they don't say that. They just, they, that was such a great move. I'm yep. so glad I met you. And yep. and that that's what I hear. So that is a good point on that, that, uh, you know, you would continue to, to do DSTs. Sure. One interesting thing, when you talk about exchanging out of DSTs, I want to talk about exchanging into DSTs again. Because, uh, you know, from a 1031 standpoint, if there's one thing to remember today, your exchange has to be set up before closing. Like the earlier in the process, the better. But if you've already closed, it's too late. The exchange has to be set up before closing. So I always remember that with a 1031. But that 45-day ID period is like some crazy time warp where people do an exchange and then it feels like two days later it's been 45 days. There's not extensions outside of federally declared disasters. So they have to find something within the 45 days. What's really, really cool about DSTs is that DSTs can make a great backup option. I mean, they make a great first option for many, many people. But there's been so many instances where clients have been on day 42, day 43, and say, hey, this sucks. I'm going to pay 150000 in taxes because I can't find anything, and this market's ridiculous. And they're just really upset. And I say, have you thought about DSTs? They will say, I've never heard of a DST. I'll refer them to you know, Brian and Brian's team, and they'll actually list a DST. They may find another property and list a DST as a backup or even a first option because they know it's going to be there when they're ready to close. And so, yeah, that 45-day ID period, DSTs fit in very well there. You know, that's a great point that I know uh, you refer a lot of business to Joel, one of the partners in the Bellevue office, and, and uh, I'm sure he's gotten his share of phone calls yes. on day 42 yes. or 43, and we're like, oh, gosh, we got two days to get this done. But actually, it can get done, yep. uh, surprisingly enough, because those properties are already owned, purchased, they're ready to receive the money. And you're right. I mean, finding a, the property you want in 45 days, being the one that wins the bid, getting your inspections done, knowing it's going to close, getting finding that 45 days isn't enough for most people in today's 
world and and even if you thought you wanted to be a landlord it's hard to do it that quickly so dsts can be a great backup plan but uh as you also mentioned primary plan is uh, certainly on the table for for many of my clients and we talked about the estate part of that uh some of the other reasons why someone would want to do a dst again we talked about geographic diversification property type diversification you do get cash flow right away now here's one of the interesting aspects and i I tell this story from time to time where i was given a seminar on dsts and and they asked me what the typical cash flow is and i told him he's like well I get 12% on mine. I'm like, oh, really? Tell me about that. Because I, I know cap rates. Nobody's yeah. getting 12% on a, <laughs> on a Class A property. So I, I did a little dive. I said, how do you compute the 12? He said, I take my gross rents and divided it by what I paid for it. Well, no, you're supposed to take your net rents after all expenses and divide it by its fair market value. Oh, okay. Well, then it's a third of that. <laughs> okay, we're getting there. We're not quite there yet. Have you had any, uh, how long have you had it? 40 years. Any repairs? Well, yeah. I mean, I, last year I had this and the year before that and the year before that. I said, in the last five years, how much money have you actually put in the bank after expenses, after repairs? He said, nothing. <laughs> I said, okay. So your real ROI is not 12%. It's zero. <laughs> he said, gosh, you're absolutely right. And he wanted to kind of badger me a little bit. And in the end, he goes, I really want one of those DSTs. You know, I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm overweight, and I'm 75, and I don't know how many good years I have left. I I really want one of these. And I said, I'll pay you 20 bucks after the, you know, you just sold this whole audience on DSTs. Uh, when you came at me saying why you wouldn't want to do one. Sure. And you just talked yourself into, into, absolutely, it's the best solution for you. So a lot of people uh, don't know what their ROI, you know, their net income is because they don't compute out the, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who had a building and, and he's like, well, I'm doing well on it, but. I know in the next three years, I've got a quarter million to half a million dollars HVAC or elevator or whatever it was that he's going to spend. I said, well, what's your cash flow going to be like over the next three years? He said, zero. And and it was 25K a month. I'm like, well, that's, that's going to be a big hit for an 80-year-old. He's like, huh, yeah, maybe, maybe it's time. I said, I think it's time. I just want to really, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Kyle, uh, and, and talking about 1031 exchanges. Uh, if you do have questions about that, we work together with Kyle. Together, we can help you uh, figure out whether it makes sense, what makes sense, what doesn't, and work together uh, to make this happen so that you can retire from being a landlord. Again, thanks a lot, Kyle. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Our guest today has been Kyle Williams of IPX 1031. We've been talking about passive real estate in particular using the 1031 exchange into a Delaware statutory trust. If you're an active landlord and you think this strategy might be a good one for you, you can explore that by emailing us, plan at madronafinancial.com. It's simply plan at madronafinancial.com. If you'd like to give us a call, you can do that by dialing 844-MADRONA, 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A, and get that conversation started about the Delaware statutory trust. Once again, I want to remind you that if you'd like to check how deep your financial roots really are? Are they deep enough to sustain you during the next financial storm? And are they deep enough to last through a retirement that could last 20, 25 years? Well, you can find out how deep your roots are by going to madronafinancial.com and clicking on the Get Started button towards the top of the page there. That'll begin your conversation. 
And after you've given us some brief information about yourself, that'll set up about a 15-minute phone call with one of our advisors, and they'll determine how deep your financial roots really are. And again, there's no charge for this. There is no obligation. You do have a chance to say no if you want, but if you choose to continue, you can do that as well. Once again, madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. And while you're there, scroll down about two-thirds of the way in the website, and that will give you the opportunity to download our book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. These are the crucial steps that are involved in a retirement that'll last 20, 25 years. And again, there is no cost for this book. If you'd like to get it right now, simply text RADIO to 833-673-7373. That's RADIO to 833-673-7373. Or if you'd like a hard copy, let us know that as well, too, in that text. We'll be sure to send one of those out to you. And while you're there, if you've got questions about the show or maybe topics that you'd like us to discuss, let us know in that text. Once again, 833-673-7373. We are out of time for this week. I want to thank Brian Evans and also Kyle Williams of IPX 1031 for being our guest today. But most of all, I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us. For Brian and Kyle, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out. Have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantee the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. DST investments are only available to accredited investors that are offered solely through the issuer's offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents. And now here's Growing Your Wealth, presented by Madrona Financial Services. Here's Brian Evans. Did you know that there are actually seven different kinds of IRAs? There's a traditional IRA. It has contribution limits of $6,000 plus 1000 catch-up if you're over age 50. That can also be used for rolling over amounts from 401k plans, old retirement accounts, that kind of thing. So there's that one. There's also the Roth IRA. The Roth IRA, although non-deductible when money goes in, can grow income tax-free for the rest of your life. And so that can be a very important tool in your financial planning if you're young and you have a 401k plan, please consider putting that money into the Roth portion of the 401k. There's something called a SEP, a self-employed pension plan, SEP IRA, and it has very high contributions depending on how much you make. So you can put up to 25% and that's to 20% of your income or up to 58,000 into that plan. There are non-deductible IRAs. Be resident to use them too much. They can allow for deferral of income, but you don't know what tax bracket you might be deferring into. There's something called a SPA IRA. If your spouse doesn't work and wouldn't be subject to having any income limits, then this can kick in so they can contribute to IRA. There's a simple IRA, which has lower contribution limits, $14,000 a year. And then there's something called a self-directed IRA because most custodians won't hold much more than stocks and bonds and those kinds of assets. So if you have real estate or real estate contracts or non-traditional
personal assets in your IRA, you would need to find a self-directed IRA with a custodian that's willing to hold it. Even the mightiest of trees can be blown over if they don't have strong roots. And the same is true for your investment plan. Can your plan withstand a financial storm? Go to madronafinancial.com and get started to request your rooted wealth analysis. You can also click on the chat button and ask us anything. We have a searchable library with answers to your questions. Visit madronafinancial.com. 